What is up, you guys? And welcome to the Beneath the Armor podcast, where we discuss what goes on beneath the metaphorical armor we put on every single day to mask as typical functional humans when really we are all just big weirdos deep down inside. We talk about mental health, how we really feel. We get into the nitty gritty feelings of what it means to be a human being. So thank you so much for being here on today's episode. I'm excited to have you. So I am here with Tani Sear today, my friend and someone who is so important in my life. And I want to give you guys a little bit of background about how I met Tani and why Tani is on here today, because I'm just so unbelievably excited about this. So Tani is not just my friend, but someone who really actually, we vibe. Like, you know, when you meet someone who just connects with you on a deep soul level, they speak to who you are as a person and you know immediately that this is something special. That's Tani for me. So we met through an online program not Bumble or CougarHunting.com, but we met through an online course uh, for people involved in business. And we rapidly recognized that we were the two black sheep of the group who just did things a little bit differently. Uh, And so that is why we're now communicating today about what it means to be different or neurodivergent in a world that that wants everyone to be cookie cutter and copy and paste. And we are just not like that. So I would like Tani to just like, who are you? What, what are you all about? Well, hello, Alex. And I first have to say, I am so thrilled to be on this with you. Thank you for the invitation. Yes, absolutely. When we first met, we instantly spoke the same language and it was like we almost could finish each other's sentences be, you know, right away. So I am super grateful to be here. And you know, it's funny when you ask me to be on the show because I'm thinking, okay, who am I? You know, who, who am I? But, um, you know, I'm a person who um, have, I've done a lot of things in my life, but I'm really passionate about encouraging people to be their real selves, not what society expects of them and, and what, not what um, they think they should be, but what's really in their heart so that they can, you know, wake up with enthusiasm and passion and really like live a life true to themselves. That's what I'm super passionate about. Oh, I love that. This is why we're friends. This makes so much sense. (laughs) So I want to dig into that a little bit deeper. Let's like really unpack that because I, one thing we were saying before we hit record here uh, and to all of you now who are listening is Tani was like, honestly, I'm a little bit nervous like who am I that was uncomfortable for me you asked me who I was and I had to really think about it so if someone were to meet you on the street for the first time and ask you what you're passionate about and if you could only do one thing for the rest of your life what would that be Mm. Ooh, one thing for the rest of my life I know that's loaded especially for two people who are over the map I would I would um I'm, I'm creating a playground. It's called like celebration playground where people come together to remember how to play. You know, remember, remember how to, um, how, like it, it reminds me of a big room where people can come and they can read a book, they can dance, they can eat their favorite foods, they can do art, they can do whatever. It's like a big adult playground but you know when you think adult playground you think sexual because that's pretty much everybody's <laughs> mind but the whole idea is having a place instead of going dancing or, or bingo or those things it's like where can we go to 
to connect and to do what we love. So if I could do anything in the world, I would, I would create playgrounds all over the world where we can all play and connect. God, I love this. I'm so excited. Like, that's amazing. Like, how cool is that? And such a unique idea. And I think so important. Like, we, we've talked about this before, but play, play is so important. And I think ties perfectly in with where we decided we want to start this conversation today, which is, okay, for people who just are different from whatever is typical, for people who are not your, your copy and paste fit in a box human, how do you belong? How do you find belonging? And, and what do you do to really feel like you can be yourself? You know, it's, it's such a great question because when I was, I look back to when I was really young and even look at pictures when I was young, I was just a force to be reckoned with from the day I was born, as my mother tells me. And even seeing pictures of me when I'm one years old, I am this ball of fire, this light. And as time went on, I noticed that my light started to dim a little bit. And why it did is because people kept saying, don't do that, don't do this, you shouldn't do this, you're too active, you're too loud, you talk too much, you run too fast, you, uh, you laugh too much. And all of a sudden I noticed that as time went on, people were saying, you're too much, you're just too much. So what do you do when that's who you are? That is your heart, your soul, your spirit, and someone's telling you that's wrong. It's really, really difficult. So I realized that I spent, I think we were talking about masking the other day and how, what I ended up doing is I had to be a re real observer of people around me, especially in school to say, okay, I'm talking and talking and people would walk away from the conversation. I'm like, what did I do? I had to realize, like I had to really watch and see what's acceptable in, I don't know if it's normal, but whatever society, like if you're in a group of a hundred, what's acceptable behavior. So I had to, you know, I, I laugh a lot about putting like a hawk in with chickens and getting the hawk to lessen who the hawk is. And it's sort of like that. I feel like it's not better or worse. It's just, I felt like I had to slow down. I had to not, you know, be as much just to be able to fit in. And, and it's very difficult. And I found as time goes on and friends that I know, like me, as time goes on, especially when they get to my age, they've, they become almost shut-ins because they haven't found a place to fit in. And it just hurts my heart. Oh, that's heartbreaking. And I think to any kids or anyone who might be listening to this right now, who they're like, I resonate with that. Like, oh my God, I feel that in my soul. Like I've been told I'm too much. I've been told that like the way I naturally am isn't acceptable. What would not advice because you and I are not really like advice givers, but what might you say to someone who relates to that, but doesn't know where to go, like what to do next? I think it really, really starts with the parents because if the child ends up being 20 years old and they fit in the box all the time, it's a hard, it's a tough shift. So, you know, we've talked about the ADHD years and, and the ones that don't fit into that box is when your child tells you something when they're in grade three and you say, just listen to the teacher, then you're, you're, you know, you're not validating how they're feeling. So what I did with my children is I made sure I really paid attention to what they said. And I made decisions based on what made sense, not what, you know, if the teacher said, you know what, um, you have to read with your children every night, like you have to, and then you have to check a box and you get a star and you get a, a prize. I say every night when I read with my children, they cry, they fight. Like it, 
before bed becomes a nightmare. So why do I have to read with my children? So I looked, I, I basically looked at a lot of things in like, even, even like doing tests. Why do we care about a kid's test in grade three? Honestly, I really don't care. So, or if they didn't have a good report card, they'd send it with my, my child and my child thought he had a great year and all of a sudden he'd read his report card and cry because he didn't think he was enough. I told the teachers, please lie on the report card because I got to deal with them all summer. All right. <laughs> and the report card really doesn't mean anything. It's a way for the teachers to grade how they did, but it really means nothing to my child. So don't send home a crappy report card because I'll send them with you for the summer. How about that? <laughs> wow. So I did a lot of things like that with the teacher to say, okay, is this a rule set up that makes sense? Or is this a rule for you? Who is this rule for? And how is it going to be best for my child? So from a young age, I really listened to what my child needed. And we adjusted on that, you know, like for a lot of different things. And, and the teachers really respected that because I didn't come in anger. I just came in. Let's not both of us fight for something that doesn't make sense, you know, and homework. I said, no homework for my children because you get them for all day. I get them for the evening. I am not going to spend two hours with my children crying, trying to do homework because they struggle with reading and whatever. They need the socialization. They need the playtime. So the point is that I taught my children to be true to themselves and find ways to live in the society where they're different. Wow. And I, okay, there's a lot there. Like, thank you, first of all, for sharing all that. My brain, as you know, goes bananas and is like, yes, 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 yes. Like, let me grab all that amazing information. And I love what you're saying. I think there's so much value in taking a step back from how things have been done and going, hold the phone. Just because things have been done this way, that doesn't mean they need to continue that way. That doesn't mean that's helpful anymore. So let's talk to the teachers let's find a new system that works well for my children for your children for other children and one thing you said there that was so so powerful to me well a few things you said were really powerful but one was is this best for my child or is this best for the teacher and who like what is school for at the end of the day if not for the child they're they're educating and they're trying to help grow into the fab fabulous human they are. So is that work and is that method of educating actually functional for the child in question, or is it a means to control and help soothe the teacher in question? Like that's a mouthful because I'm sure there are tons of people who are gonna listen to this who are gonna go, whoa, like I wish I was raised that way, or maybe people who go like, well, hold the phone, like there's a, you're like, your kids need to learn. They need to like learn the way the system teaches them. And so let's tackle those two things. If you're, if you're cool with that, I know it's like, this is going to get heavy. So thing number one, going back to the first piece is how did you have that conversation with teachers in a way they could hear you? Well, first of all, it took probably the most important thing that I learned raising children is perception that and people would tell me you know what you're looking at it like this like if you look here, here's a perception your child won't sit during class yet the perception is your child but my child cannot sit during class because my child's brain goes to sleep when he's still so in order to stay awake he needs to move so instead of looking at it as my child is 
is a bad child. He's not listening. He needs to follow the rules. I look at it as, um, why can't my child sit? What's the problem? What's going on? How can I, how can I support him or her? How can I help my child? To, because my child wants to learn. My child is a, like, loves to learn. So obviously I got to look at the environment. So that's what I did with everything is I would first step back and say, okay, this is how it was. This is what works. Let's talk to the teacher because in essence, it makes their job easier. So it was never me against them. We sat on the same side of the table when we had meetings and we said, okay, this is the challenge I'm having. What is the outcome and how can we make this work that doesn't also affect the rest of the class? So there was a lot of factors in there, but most of the time, the teachers have this pressure to produce students with high grades. So I took that off the table. I said, I don't care. And I'm not talking about grade 12, even though I didn't care about that either. But I'm, let's just talk about earlier grades or whatever. Just, to be frank, my, my kids didn't graduate because they went to unschooling. And, they, and one of my children still went to college. So that's a whole other conversation. But the point is that the, the teacher's job and the way they get paid and stuff is they have to look at tests and are you teaching the children? I'm sure that they have their criteria that they have to fill. And then if they don't, parents, on the other hand, parents will come up, why is my child only getting a 60? What are you doing wrong? So they have that parent as well saying, why is my child not getting grades? So first of all, I removed the pressure of, listen, I don't care about grades, I don't care about this. I want my child to come to school. Here's what I said every year. I want my child to not, I want him, his self-esteem to not diminish during the school year. That was the goal. Oh. Do not break his spirit. That was my only goal. Do not break wow. his spirit. The rest, I didn't care about because I'm like, yeah. And so that's the thing is if my child came home with a broken spirit, the teacher and I were having a conversation, but it wasn't us against them. It was like, what can we do differently? And that's what we did. And even to the point where they would ask me to talk at events, you know, because I was on their side, let's do this together. It's, it's not us or them, right? Wow. That again, like this is why we're having this conversation. I'm going to keep repeating that. I feel like a broken record, but there's so much value here in terms of communication method, conflict resolution, forward thinking, educational change and structure. So you again said something there that's like, just don't break my child's spirit. Self-esteem is the most important thing. If my child thinks they can do anything, regardless of their socioeconomic status, gender, race, whatever, if they think they can do whatever they want, that's not harmful. I mean, I mean, in like a ability sense, they will do whatever they want. They will accomplish anything. Do not tell them they are lesser than. And that, again, is something that goes over the head of, of, of so many parents. So that's so valuable. Oh, thank you. I want to go back to the second part of our first point, which was, okay, so you were brave enough and courageous enough to have these conversations with, with the teachers that most parents, in my experience, might not have. The parents listened to you because you communicated from their perspective. You sat on the, literally on the same side of the table with them and made it also about them so they would have a better experience as a teacher. Now, what would you say to whether it's parents, teachers, students, humans who might go how you are doing this, how you are parenting is wrong? 
what would you say to those people where they go, well, your kids aren't going to grow up and be successful and you're raising them where they're not going to have skills to deal with conflict and hard things. What would you say to those people? Oh, trust me. I had so many conversations like that. And let me tell you, it's easy for me to say that now, but when you're taking a risk, for example, um, and the reason, so my children went to public school. First they did the regular school. Then we found a school that was an art school. So we sent them to that, but they said that there wasn't enough aid. So we couldn't do that. Then we sent them to a school for people with special needs. And it just got worse and worse and worse. Each, each helped a bit. Finally, I took a huge leap, paid $1,200 a month to put kids in a Sudbury, camp, uh, Sudbury campus school where there aren't instruction and they do what they want. So I had to take this leap of faith and pay money and drive four hours a day to get my kids in this school. But I didn't know if they were gonna turn out to be responsible adults, would they be able to have a job? Would anybody hire them? Would they be able to go to college? Like I just knew that what I was doing in the past, my children would be in jail because they were so, like they were fighting against everything and the kids were bullying them and they were like either dead or in jail or something bad. So I had to do something different. So. At that time, if somebody would have said, uh, like, you're doing the wrong thing, I would have said, you know what, I don't, this is just what my heart says, right? So I always felt, but it was, it was hard conversations because people said it to me all the time, you know, is, I mean, parents, my parents, every, everybody, everybody thought I was crazy, single mom, barely making any money, trying to find money to send your kids to school, but at the end of the day, it was my child's heart that I cared about. It wasn't about anything else. And in all the other places, my children were bullied so badly that they became so angry. Like my, my spirited, beautiful two-year-olds became very angry 10-year-olds. And I didn't want that for them because when you're angry, like they were, nobody accepted them. So I knew I need to put them in a place with people that were like them, that accepted them and loved them and at whatever cost. It was hard though. It was hard. So most of the time, how I, how I did that is I spent a lot of times with people. I spent most of my time with the people in that school and the parents, because we spoke the same language. We needed that support because we were all in the same boat. This was a new idea, you know, but we saw the growth and it healed us as well as parents, to be honest. Uh. Yeah. You have to heal the parent first before you can heal the child. So we had to believe in it. So once we started to believe in it, all of a sudden the kids just, it just fell in place, right? Oh my God. Oh, let's keep going on this, on this tangent. This is where we're going with this for sure. So let's tie in like our original topic, because these are the same thing. The original topic we had in mind with this, like raising kids in education and reframing education differently. And where I'd love to go with this is, okay, so if you are a differently brained person, Jesus, that's a, like, what does that mean? Right. But if you're a neurodivergent human, you feel like you don't belong. You've been told you're too much. You're a black sheep as a human. What do you, what would be helpful in society right now for someone like your kids or for us? Well, what I did is I welcomed a lot of young I love the teenagers, like 
I had a lot of boys stay at my house between the ages of 16 and 19. They had to be 16 because at 15, they're not like, it becomes a issue, but they would move in. Like I had eight kids over a year move in because at that age, when they start to discover who they are as young men, all of a sudden they're, they're drinking and they're smoking meat or they're doing whatever they're doing. And the parents are like, Oh, you know, like you're not following the rules. you got to get out. So I, I, created this environment where the kids could come and literally be themselves. They, there, was, there was like computers in the living room, they could play video games, but I wanted to have a place where the kids could come and experience, not experiment, but they would do things like freeze water, freeze water in the, like put water in the um, freezer to see what it would do if it would expand. Like they felt free to actually learn to grow. So what I recommend to people and as parents, as aunties, uncles, sisters, is listen to the children, especially teenagers. I love teenagers, but very often when you see an adult walk by a teenager, there's so much judgment. Oh, look at the hair. Look at that. Oh, the pants. Like, why don't they pull up their pants? And oh, they got tattoos and they have piercings. And they forget, like our, my kids' very first most amazing babysitters had different color hair and, and all this kind of stuff. And they were the best. But so stop judging you know, look for the beauty in people. When you see somebody, look for the beauty. When you see a teenager, you look at them and say, that's amazing that they have their own vision. So instead of looking at those bads, so that's always what I encourage everybody, even older people is, you know, like people that are in their sixties, it's like, you know what? You just criticized that boy's pants, but did you just realize that he, he picked up garbage on your lawn? Like, stop, stop taking those past ideas of what you know, the judgments and all that and, and realize that these are amazing kids in our society. And if we start encouraging them and supporting them, then they can really grow and blossom. If we're, if we're saying that they're not enough and they're, you know, like, where do they, where can they grow in a society that doesn't accept them? So I think as a society, it's our job to recognize the beauty in everybody at every age. Oh, I love that. And it's not about not growing or people just being who they are without growth. It's holding space for people to explore who they are without shame or judgment. It's this safe space as a whole where everyone can come as they are. And oh, I, could, I could not agree more with the value behind that. There's um, an amazing TED talk by Sir Ken Robinson, who has a, a few books, but um, the TED talk is on changing educational paradigms. And this was back in like, I want to say early mid 2000s, like this is, this, we're going back a ways now. Um, and he basically talks about how in schools, everything is a cookie cutter model and schools run from 9am to 3pm and kids are lumped in a class and recess is a structured thing. And you have to learn this way. And he's like, well, no one does. Some people learn better at nighttime and some people learn better in the morning and some people learn better visually. And some people learn better by reading. And he's like, what astounds me, this is quote I've remembered ever since I first saw this where he goes, what astounds me is there are these schools called alternative education that allow kids to be themselves and explore and express who they are and learn in individual ways. And they're highly creative, individually constructed. And then he pauses and goes, what astounds me is that these are called alternative education. And if all education were like this, there would be no need for the alternative. <laughs> 
I think like what we're discussing here is like revisiting that similar kind of conversation and going, okay, everyone is different in their own way. Some people happen to fit the way that education is given to us. Great, good for them. If you can go to a 9 to 3 p.m. school and you function and you can focus and you can sit at your desk and pay attention for six hours back to back, good for you. But most people can't. Most people require individualization and creative expression. And how do we implement that? And it starts with non-judgment and it starts with people thinking differently and having hard conversations and thoughts like you did with those teachers way back when those conversations need to happen oh yes 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 and it's i mean it's it's for everything like for example in the workplace you know sometimes you say somebody has to work nine to five and all of a sudden you're saying okay nine to five really um what if somebody does better eight to four so what happens is people get in people get in this mind frame of constructs. You have to do this, you have to work for this many hours, you can't leave the building, you can't there's all of these rules for control and stuff like that. And when COVID hit, what's interesting is people started working from home and bosses went, "Oh my gosh, they're maybe more productive or maybe we're getting more of them or maybe some less." But the whole point is they realized maybe there is another way to do this. And and you know, it's just this whole thing of, one of my phrases is living out of the box and loving it. Doesn't mean it's easy though. It's not easy because you're going, it's like going against, going against the grain of everything. But instead of just saying, you know, like when I'd ask my parents, why do I have to come home at one o'clock in the morning? Why not two? They said, it has to be one. I said, but what if I'm in the middle of watching a movie with my friends and it, it ends at 1.30? They go, too bad. I go, what is this? You know where I am. You know my friends. What is this hard? Like there's these things where they can't explain why. My, my question to people is, think about what those things are. You know, the expression of, uh, or this story of cooking a roast in this roasting pan. And so this lady, every time she'd go to cook the roast, she'd cut off the end put it in the pan and put it in the oven. And someone said to her, why do you cut off the end of the roast? And she goes, I don't know. It's, you know, it's just been going on for so many years. Like that's what I taught. Yeah, but it's because the roast didn't fit in the pan that they cut off the end. But now that your roaster's bigger, you just put it all in the pan. But it's like this thing of not questioning whether it's right or wrong. And I really, I mean, obviously as a society, people want to fit. So we want to follow the rules because we don't want to stand out. We don't want, we don't want attention brought onto ourselves. But there's a certain point where you say, is that really good for me? And if we don't question it, things don't change. Oh my God, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Like everything you just said, we do things because it's how we were raised, because it's how society told us to do it. We, we, it's hard. It takes effort to stop and think and go, why am I doing this? And there's a difference between going like, why do I stop at a red light instead of just going? Well, it's like, well, because you're going to die. Like, yeah, there are, there are rules in place in some instances for a reason. Don't jump off the bridge. Bad idea. But when it comes to just how we live our everyday lives, like, let's stop and think about why we do things this way. Like, why do we work? Why even like, why do I work the job I work? 
do you work that job because you love it and it gives you passion? Or do you work that job because your parents told you that was the only acceptable way to work? Do you work that job because you just never thought otherwise and it paid you well? So you're like, I guess this is what I do now. Like, why do you do what you do? Just engaging more presently, being present with what you're doing and then rethinking it. Like, what if you tried doing it a different way just to see what happens? And then if you think about your life from a different lens and go, what if I did this a different way? Also passing off that open-mindedness to other people and how they do things. So when someone else goes, well, I do it this way, instead of going, well, you're wrong. And they go, well, why am I wrong? And you go, because you are, because that's how you do it. Like that doesn't accomplish anything. Go, I'm open-minded about how I do this. And that person is allowed to do it a different way because how they do it works for them and how this other person does it works for them. And like, again, it's all just, as long as it's not hurting or harming anyone or anything, like we're not talking about like, do whatever you feel like if people are going to get hurt, but if it comes to your job, like, or your hobbies, your time schedule, the things you do with your family, how you raise your kids, like, let's think differently. Let's try something new. Yes, yes, definitely. And I mean, we, we're here experiencing life. If we keep doing the same thing day after day and seeing the same people, we're not living. We're just kind of coasting. You know, like my, one of my, chill, uh, one of my sons said, mom, you know, I, I only had this job for so long and I'm doing another. I said, I want you to have every experience you can. Of course, I want them to do it respectfully. I want them to give their notice and they do that. But the whole thing is, if you don't like somebody, I don't want you there for 20. If you don't like a job, I don't want you there for 20 years. Oh my gosh, that's, that's hell on earth. No, uh-uh. So, you know, we talked about how to make changes. I think one of the really, really important steps is good leadership. And so um, I've worked with companies where people say, this is the way or the highway, even if it didn't make sense. And, and, it, and it often comes from people that are like more the baby boomers where they, it's a different generation where this is the rule, you follow it because you conform. And, um, but a leadership is a person that's gonna listen to ideas and have, and have some guidelines to say, here's what we're going to do. You bring the idea. We'll talk about it. We'll discuss it. It's not a my way or the highway. It's like, and let's try to do something to make the company better and make you love it. And I've always done that with my employees, either come up with a project or something that makes them feel a part of it. Because now when they come to work, they're going to love what they do. And they're like the creativity. When you give somebody an opportunity to be creative using the skills, like, and when I say creativity, I'm not talking art. I'm talking maybe writing, maybe they love creating databases, maybe they love, um, you know, decorating for Halloween, maybe whatever it is that they love doing, maybe they like shopping, buying Christmas presents for, for the, the team, whatever that looks like. As leaders, find out who your people are and help them to blossom and to be their real selves. And I'll tell you, first of all, they'll stay with you for a long time. Money isn't the same conversation. And you'll all just love work so much more. So I just really believe in, in the good leadership and, you know, the openness. That's so powerful. The, the, again, open-minded leaders. And 
I really appreciate you saying that as like a business owner myself. And I know you are passionate about being a leader and, and to make creating your own projects as well, because that's something I strive to do with my coaches and the people I work with. And even my, my community members is just allowing people to be who they are, where they're at, and to never shy away from asking questions. Something you said there, I don't know what triggered this in my brain, but you reminded me of people in my classes that I teach, oftentimes will have a question and I always encourage question asking. Even if it takes up more time, that's okay. And every time someone has a question, they apologize. They put up a hand on Zoom and they go, I'm so sorry, I have a question. And I'm like, I want to ask, why are you sorry that you have a question? And people are apologetic for not just going with what you're saying and following the instructions and moving along. People are apologetic for taking up time, taking up space, for asking about why something is, for questioning what the process is. And I'm like, let that's something that should be valued. That's something that's so incredibly powerful is the bravery and vulnerability to stand up and go, I have a question, why, how, like what, like why are we doing this? Like, can you say more? Can you explain more? And it's not, people take that as a personal attack. When people get asked questions, a lot of the times, again, in my experience, uh, I, I see it all the time. People get asked a question about why they do something the way they do. And that person takes it as a personal affront. They're like, why would you even ask me what I do? What are you, why are you attacking me? And a question is not an attack. A question is a search for understanding, deeper meaning, and maybe to help find a better way that serves you, just a new way. And so I, I like on that note, hope that we can all be a little more open-minded to not only asking questions about how we could do things differently, but to receiving that information as well. And if we are the person who's being asked why not to go because that's the way it is and move on, but to take everyone's opinion and just think about it, they, it might not, what they have to say might not be best for you, but at least they're getting you to think about it because otherwise you might not. Oh man, my brain is just on fire from that. <laughs> what you just right. said. So much. So I think about that little child, that little one or two year old that says, why? Or like, or maybe it's three where they're like, why, 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 why? And they ask and they ask, they want to know everything. Why is this connected? And somehow down the road, they get taught to conform. They get taught to listen, to sit, to not participate. Don't talk. Don't, they really get taught this thing and teaching them to be like that factory worker where you go in, you, 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 clock in, you sit for your two hours, you take your coffee break, you do this. And it's like that openness, that all that stuff really gets like discouraged, discouraged. I want you to fit in and not have an opinion, but I want you to listen to the teacher and I want you to do what the teacher says. I want you to do what your boss says. I want you to do what your mother says. I want you to respect, respect, respect. I remember one day some, my kid said something to me and, and one of my friends like, I can't believe you let your child talk to you like that. I said, first of all, my child is frustrated. Nobody will listen to him. I'm, I'm the only one that he feels safe sharing. He's got all of these emotions and he doesn't know what to do with them. So what I do is I listen to him. I let him get it all out. 
And now we unpack it piece by piece to figure out where it is so that he can better deal with it. And now he's this amazing, amazing young man who when he does get triggered, he takes a moment like all of the work that we did growing up now, he is able to have these difficult conversations. But when you squash it on a kid, all they learn is to either start drinking because they have all of these like all the, that's where the addictions come from. That's where, a lot, I mean, that's not where it comes from. There's a lot, I mean, oh my gosh, that could be 12, you know, but the whole thing is the more they, the more they don't live out life, they're trying to figure out coping mechanisms because they have to, yeah, they have to, you know, push it down and I can't be the real me. I can't say this. I can't do this. I mean, when we're young, we used to dance and sing out loud. We didn't care what we looked like. We didn't care what we sounded like. We just had fun. So all of a sudden now you can't do that because someone's going to criticize like, we just have to stop being so critical and just allow people to share their light. And I wanted to add something about that in regards to differences, like, and especially now more than ever, I see so much with different, like my children, I was married to a black American. So my children are black. And so there's, you know, there's that. So there's the black lives matter and in Canada, there's all of these graves that we're finding from the children from the residential schools. And all of these places I live, my sister lives in Hawaii, all of these places where they were told to not live their cultural way, not practice their creative cultural stuff, regardless of what it is, we have, we have a world full of people that are lost, their heart is lost, and they're trying, they're trying to survive, but they're not living true to their heart because of all these rules. And that's where my playground, I want this playground to be a place where we can learn other people's songs, learn other people's dances, learn what they did, how they sewed quilts together. I just want this to be a gathering place where people can come, be their true authentic self and be like, just have this space for them. And when people come there, they just love, they just, they wanna learn and embrace. That's what I want for the world is, is instead of us all trying to be one is let's really enjoy what everybody has to offer. Oh, I love that. Like so well said, and I'm so excited for, I'm so excited for you to build this and for this to be the next big thing, because I think it's so, so, so critical and you have such a magical mind and creative heart. So I'm really grateful for you sharing that. Um, and I feel like we've also got about 50,000 podcast topics in one episode today, but I love it. I think this is, this is true to who we are and we love talking about everything and anything. Um, so if you are down for it, how I like to finish here and what I'd like to finish with is this is inspired by Jay Shetty's on purpose and his podcast. Um, but he does a final five with his guests who come on and does like a rapid fire five questions. And so I would love to ask you those with the goal being that you answer in kind of like a sentence or less. You down for this? Yes, let's do it. Okay. So what is one thing that you would like other people to know about you that they would never think to ask? It's loaded. <laughs> Uh, it's like a first date question that ruins your night <laughs> an open book so that's a tough one uh i just i love life that's all okay 
I love that. I think that's so bad. Like people wouldn't be like, do you love life? And you're like, yes, I do. So I think that's wonderful. I think it's so great that you were like, I would love everyone to know that I love life. And that's so important to me. That's beautiful. Thank you. What is, what, speaking of which, what is something that makes you come alive? Laughing. When I Beautiful. see people laughing, oh, oh when, that's when I see two people talking, smiling, laughing, love it. Oh, it's so infectious, isn't it? I love when I see someone smiling and laughing like a stranger on the street. It lights up my whole day. Like it, that can. Oh, great answer. I love that. What is something you are doing or a hobby of yours right now that is strictly for you and no one else? Painting. Say more. What do you love to paint? I I just paint everything. I paint paper on wood. Um, I just I paint because I need to get all of the I need to get all of the joy out of me, especially during the COVID time where I'm not going out. So I just paint. I just you know paint whatever. And because I can be a bit of a perfectionist, painting is a way for me to get out of my monkey mind and really you know flow with the flow with the energy. Oh, I love that. I'm so with you. Creating is so important. And as you said, get out of your monkey mind and just be with yourself. Just be present. Oh, it's beautiful. This is a loaded one. I feel like you're going to enjoy it though. If you were to enforce one rule or law in society, and it could be anything you want it to be, what would it be? Not one that's existent, but you create your own. In the school my kids went to, this was the rule. You have to be respectful, responsible, reasonable, kind. I think that, that was it. That was the rule. So anytime they did something, you said, is that respectful? So in that sentence, it, it covered everything. Oh, I love that. So can you say that one more time if you're okay with it? So reasonable, responsible, respectful, and kind? Yeah. That's so powerful. I think that's such a great mantra as well for anyone is before you respond to someone else or before you do something, is this reasonable, responsible, respectful, and kind? That's, that's beautiful. Thank you, Tani. And then the last question is, if you were to give one piece of wisdom or knowledge to someone who thinks they are different from everyone else, to the black sheep, to the too much human, what is one thing you would like them to know uh, from your perspective? We have all have this human experience to share our gifts. If we follow the world or if we follow society's rules, we're not sharing our gift. So my, my thought is what makes you happy, what brings you joy, that's your gift, share it with the world. And that's how we can heal. That's how we can grow in love. So be, be authentically you. That is so beautiful. Tenny, thank you so much for being on here today. I'm so grateful for this conversation for you as a friend and for you just being the amazing human you are. Like this has been so powerful and such a joy. Thank you, Alex. I have truly loved this. You are just uh, such a special human being and I appreciate you inviting me to be a part of this with you. Thank you.
Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. I so appreciate it. And if you have more topics you would like to hear about or want to learn more, you can find us at abhmovement.com, abhmovement on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, or hit us up in our Empath Movement Facebook group. Have an amazing day today and thank you so much again.